You see, what I found with really seasoned saints that are really mature, really close to the Lord, really vibrant in their relationship with Jesus, living a miraculous Christ-filled life, those are the people that are actually most humble. Because as you get closer to Jesus and his light, and you get to know the light of the word, you realize how filthy you really are. The closer you get to the purity of the light, the light starts shining on little areas, little skeletons in your heart, little corners and crevices of darkness in your heart that you didn't even know were there. So the closer you get to the light, the more permeating the light is and the more you realize I'm a sinner. Welcome to today's broadcast. I'm Brooks Gibbs, lead pastor of Devotion Church. I love elementary concepts that are simple to understand and easy to explain. And when it comes to the most important message on the planet, it could not be more simple. The world is full of darkness and God is full of light. So walk towards the light and you'll be all right. I love that. In today's message, we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Matthew. And in chapter four, we see Jesus begin his ministry. He recruits his key disciples and he continues the message of repentance calling people out of the darkness and into the light. We have the exact same ministry as Jesus did. Do you know that? We are to call people to run out of darkness and into the light. I hope you enjoy today's study. Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 12. You could just follow along as I read out loud. Now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Everyone say Galilee. All right, that's important. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, quote, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Say Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. So the Gentiles get light. The darkness experiences light. Verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember John the Baptist had one sentence he said over and over. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when John is finished, Jesus comes on the scene, goes to the dark place of Galilee, and preaches the same message the torch is passed on to Christ. Verse 18, and Jesus walked by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew, his brother was with them, and they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen, the old school style fishermen, right? No fishing pole. It's like serious net. Then he said to him, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets And followed Jesus. And going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. So Peter was casting their nets. John was mending his nets. And he called them. Jesus called them with the same thing. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. This is Jesus recruiting his disciples for the launch of his ministry. And Jesus went about all of Galilee, verse 23, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And then Christ's fame went throughout all Syria 
And they brought all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them all. Great multitudes followed Jesus from Galilee all the way to Decapolis, which was east, to Jerusalem, which was south, to Judea and beyond the Jordan, which was over 100 miles away. People traveled over 100 miles just to see this new kid on the block, Jesus Christ, at the launch of his ministry, just a young buck, 30 years old, ready to rock, communicating the kingdom of heaven, healing people, calling people to repentance, a bright, shining light. In the darkness, Jesus has finally showed up. Amen? I have a friend who has a little girl that's four years old, and she made a very interesting observation one day driving downtown. She looked and she saw a bar and a club. Music was going, right? And she was like, what's that noise? And she was trying to look through the window. Daddy rolled down his little window and she peered out and she was looking and she says, I can't see in that building. It's too dark. And she says, Daddy, why are bars or clubs so dark? And her dad wisely said, because sin loves the darkness. Sin loves the darkness. And Jesus is our light. And Jesus' light permeates through the darkness, causes the darkness to flee. Jesus was a bright light on this dark world. In fact, we were ready for him in this passage. You see, before Matthew was Malachi, the Old Testament, and there was a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and John the Baptist coming in to prepare the way for Jesus. And, And John was a bright light, but he wasn't the light. He was preparing the way for the big light Christ to come. And by the time Jesus came, by the time he was 30 years old, John was imprisoned. No one else was preaching repentance. So Jesus says, my time now has come. Jesus enters the scene. And we see here in Matthew chapter four, he starts his ministry. And his ministry is very much the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know that's what the light does? The light says, I don't want any darkness I don't want any darkness. And Jesus said, sin is dark. God is light. It's a beautiful contrast. It's a complete like no-brainer. It's elementary in its understanding. Sin is dark. God is light. And you know that light makes darkness go away. So God makes sin go away. It's very simple. God contrasts light and darkness. God is light. Sin is dark. Jesus is always calling us out of darkness into light. Here's what's cool. Jesus says, you need to run away from darkness, run away from sin, and come towards the light, come towards me. He says the same message towards the unbeliever, the one that's about to get saved, the one that needs to get saved, the one that needs to become a Christian. He has that message to them, but he also has the same message to the seasoned believer that's been with Jesus for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. The message is still the same. Repent, flee from darkness, come closer to the light. It never changes. The message of Christ is always, come to the light. Leave sin, come to a life of holiness. Shed the darkness from your life because it will hinder you. It will separate you from the fellowship of God. It will grieve the Holy Spirit that lives within you. The way of the sinner is hard, Scripture says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, which is light, is eternal life. So walk in the light. 
when we do that, and I believe that's what God's calling us to do, whether you're not a believer yet, and you're just kicking the tires of Christianity, wondering what it's all about, Jesus would say to you this morning, leave your life of sin and run to the light of Christ. He will forgive you of your sin. He will empower you to overcome addictions, impulses, appetites, and your life will never be the same. And if you're a seasoned saint here, many of us are. Let's not forget the message of repentance that Jesus started his ministry preaching and he ended his ministry preaching. Run to the light, leave darkness, ultimately repent. Isn't that what repentance is? I said a couple weeks ago, repentance is basically turning in the complete different direction. If darkness is over here, repentance means I'm leaving darkness, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much courage it takes, I'm turning my back on darkness. I'm looking to the light and I'm running to Jesus as hard as I can. And I believe as I get closer to the light, darkness will flee from me. Beautiful. You know, the question is, why did Jesus go to Galilee? We don't have time to go into it, but he was actually kicked out of Nazareth. Remember, Nazareth was where he grew up. In the book of Luke, it gives us a clue that Jesus read a scroll from Isaiah saying, I have come to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And he basically said, I'm the Messiah. He rolled up the scroll. He gave it to the guy that was in Nazareth there, the little temple assistant. And he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your midst. And all the people of Nazareth said, isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't this a kid that grew up around the corner? And Jesus is saying he's the Messiah? He's crazy. They had no respect. And that's when Jesus said, the prophet is not accepted in his own town. And they tried to throw Jesus off the cliff, the Bible says. His own people, his peeps, they all came and they grabbed him and they seized him and they tried to throw him. One, two, three, and they tried to heave ho him off the cliff, but he escaped in their midst. And he says, forget these people. They have rejected the light. I'm going to go where the light really, really shines in Galilee. That's where he went. It says there, right in Matthew 4, starting in verse oh, 12, it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And this was prophetic in verse 15. It says, The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, this is way north of Israel, at the very peak, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people in Galilee sat in darkness, verse 16. And they have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. This was a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. The prophecy says that Jesus, the Messiah, would start his ministry in Galilee. And that's exactly where Jesus started his ministry. A little side note. Isn't it crazy how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled? If that was the only evidence that you had that Jesus was the Son of God, that would be enough to convince you. Because the Old Testament, Jews know this. The future Messiah has got to be from the line of David, from Abraham, born in Bethlehem, spent time in Egypt and brought out of Egypt, called the Nazarene, right? And also ministering in Galilee. And we've been walking through this series called Jesus Is through Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Matthew 3, and now Matthew 4, where we conclude this series. And we see, yes, Jesus was from the tribe of uh, you know Abraham that was from the line of David. He was born in Bethlehem. He came out of Egypt to get away from Herod who tried to kill him. 
He was called to Nazarene where they eventually settled by God's province. And now he starts his ministry in Galilee. Boy, if he just realized the prophecies that he fulfilled, it'd be impossible for anyone to fulfill so many prophecies. That builds my faith. Reading the word grows your faith. And I hope it's done uh, so in your life as we've studied Matthew. But why did Jesus go to Galilee? Here's something about Galilee. Galilee was located in the northern Israel, part of Israel. It was a province comprised of 204 villages, a cluster of little villages. Over 15,000 people lived there. It was known to the Jews as the region of death because throughout Israel's history, the Gentiles would constantly wage war in the northern part of Israel. Consequently, there were many mixed marriages and a great deal of Gentile influence within Galilee. The holy, quote-unquote, holy Jews tried to stay away from Galilee, went into the center of Israel where Jerusalem was. But when Jesus launched his ministry, he said, I'm going to go to Galilee where all the outcasts are, where all the people who are looked down upon, I want to go there. To the people with funny accents, the people with broken lifestyles, the people that really need the light. I'm going to go there. In Luke 19, it says, don't turn there, but it says, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus did not come to fix healed people. He came to heal broken, sick people. So it makes sense that Jesus launches his ministry straight up in Galilee, very dark place where sin, of course, was common. In John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We think, well, Jesus, did you go to Galilee to make them feel bad about their sin? Did you go there to condemn them? I mean, who wants to hear a prophet say, stop sinning, this is wrong, that's wrong. The Bible says that the word of God condemns our sin. He doesn't need to condemn us. Our sin condemns us already. Paul put it this way. I didn't know that I was a sinner until I read the Bible. I would not know about sin unless I studied scripture. I would not know sin but by the law of God. Paul put it this way again. The law of God, the rules, the 10 commandments, the 613 commandments from God, all this in the Old Testament, thou shalt, thou shalt. He says, it was like a schoolmaster or a tutor to lead me to repentance and ultimately to Christ. It showed me that, dude, I'm supposed to do that? God is holy? That's wrong? This is right? I'm totally messed up. I need a savior, exactly. So Jesus doesn't come to condemn us. The word condemns us. The law condemns us. It says, this is right. And we look at the word and say, well, then I must be wrong. You're condemned. But Jesus now comes and says, hey, man, I'm not preaching against that sin. The Bible already says that you're not supposed to do that sin. That's already been accomplished. I want to preach for something, not against something. I want to preach for something, and that's for holiness, for light. With young people, teenagers especially, I found this to be very effective. Instead of speaking at youth events against sin, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, which brings condemnation and, oh, they feel terrible. I love to preach. Your life in Christ is awesome. If you leave sin and run to the light, the blessings that are waiting for you are off the charts. This is not some wishful thinking. I've experienced it in my life. I've experienced it in other people's lives. God promises that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That if you draw near to the light, the light will draw near to you. He will set you free. It's always more effective to preach for something than against something. 
Because hopefully if the person is really studying scripture, the Bible will make it clear that their lifestyle and their choices are wrong and they should feel, oh, I feel terrible. But then the light comes and it says, follow this way. And Jesus went to Galilee with good news. Isn't that the gospel? Good news? Paul summed up Christ's ministry this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He said, this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptance. What is it? What is it, Paul? What's the trustworthy saying? What's the mission statement of Christ's life? Here's what he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Why did Jesus come? To save sinners. You know the history of sin. Adam and Eve partook of fruit that was forbidden that God said, don't eat. They partook of it. And because of them actualizing their free will, engaging in evil, tempted by Satan, sin entered the world. Now thorns and thistles and lions would eat lambs. And now people would get sick. And now we wouldn't live forever, but we would die here on earth. And everything, the world would start to groan. Sin entered the world through Adam. But Christ, the new Adam, came life. Paul said, of whom I'm chief. Have you ever wondered? That's so weird. Paul, one of the most godly guys ever, he was the guy at the end of his life said, I finished the race. I, I, you know, I've, I've done really well. I feel good. I've done everything God has asked me to. Paul, like our example, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. You ever wondered like how messed up that is? No, 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 Paul, we don't want to hear you say that. I'm the chief of sinners. We want you to say it's possible, guys. A sinless, holy life is possible. I did it. But that's not what he said. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm worse than all of y'all. But you're really godly. You're really close to the light. Exactly. You see, what I found with really seasoned saints that are really mature, really close to the Lord, really vibrant in their relationship with Jesus, living a miraculous Christ-filled life, those are the people that are actually most humble. Because as you get closer to Jesus and his light, and you get to know the light of the word, you realize how filthy you really are. The closer you get to the purity of the light, the light starts shining on little areas, little skeletons in your heart, little corners and crevices of darkness in your heart that you didn't even know were there. So the closer you get to the light, the more permeating the light is and the more you realize I'm a sinner. People who speak and talk like they're super godly and they're holy, I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all. I don't like people who talk holier than I am. I just, I just don't know. And if they boast about their holiness, because the people who I know are holier than I am, that's the opposite. They're always confessing their sins to me. They're always saying how disgusted they are with their attitudes. They're always just saying, man, I need Jesus to save me and make me clean. I need to repent of this sin. Will you pray for me? Dude, you're like my pastor's pastor. You're like on the top tier of like awesome holiness. I would trust you more than anyone. And you need me to pray for you? I'm wicked. I want that. I want that. You know, I want to be like Paul that says, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And the more I engage with my relationship with Jesus, the more he shows me I'm a sinner. But it's, by the way, the light is really cool. The light not only exposes your sin, but it delivers you from that darkness. 
Paul was in a constant place of repentance saying, A, I confess of my sin and I go in the right way of holiness. And he was getting better and better and better and better. God takes us from faith to faith, glory to glory. It's a sanctification process. It's really messy when you're a young Christian, but it gets really refining when you become a seasoned saint. Rest assured that we're all sinners. Romans says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is our light. Turn real quick to the book of John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just go to your right. I'd like you to read this. I think it's very important. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. It's a capital W. It's speaking of the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus was known as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. We don't have time to unpack that. Someday we will. All things were made through Jesus, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus is God. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It's one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible. Verse 5. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, talking about John the Baptist. We just learned about him. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe But John was not that light, verse 8. He was sent to bear witness of that light, verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10, here it goes. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, speaking of Jesus, and the world did not know him. Verse 11, he, Jesus, came to his own, speaking of Nazareth, and his own did not receive him. We just read that. That just happened. Verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. I always hear Billy Graham's voice when I hear that. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the light to become children of God. Sorry, that's my only. (laughs) Come just as you are. We want to give you literature. (laughs) But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God of God to those who believe in his name. So Jesus comes on the earth. He shines the way, follow me. And we've got this opportunity to say yes or no. Some people love the darkness. They'd rather be in darkness. They love their sins. Or sometimes their sin, sin is a trap as you know this. Sin has you so entangled that you think there's no way out. And Jesus makes an offer and says, hey, come follow me. I will deliver you from your life of darkness. You don't even realize the blessing of walking in the light. Repent of your sin and come follow me. And we have a choice. And some say no. And that's their prerogative. But to them who receive the light, God gave the power to become the children of God. A little side note here. When we're born, the Bible says in the book of Romans that we are born as children of God's wrath because our sin separates us from God and our sin demands God's wrath. But when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts and say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want to walk in the light. Basically, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, you are the payment for the wrath of God. Jesus, all the wrath of God was poured out on you on the cross. So if I run to the light, All my sin is forgiven, and I have the right to be called a child of God. 
You ever heard this saying, well, we're all God's children. It's true, but what type of child are you? A child of God's wrath or a child of God's light? If you know Jesus, then you'll know that light. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Um, we're not going to read anything from that passage yet. I want to share this with you. In the book of John chapter 8, Jesus said he's the light. It says, Jesus told his disciples saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. First Peter 2.9, uh, we were told that those who are Christians have left darkness and entered light. This is how he puts it. He says, in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim his praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In 1 John, John also challenges us to walk in the light. Since that's what we say we are, we are of the light, we are of Christ. Jesus says we are Uh, in him, which is the light of life. Here's what it says in uh, 1 John. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet still walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Christ and yet continue to walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Are you getting the picture? Light is important to Jesus. Sin is an important issue to God. And he tried to make it as simple as possible. Sin is darkness. Stay away. Christ is light. Pursue it with all your might. That same book, 1 John, continues with the challenge. It says this in chapter 2, verse 3. Just listen. It says, now by this we know that we know him. We know that we're Christians if we keep his commandments. The person that says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says that he abides in Christ ought himself also to walk in the light of Christ. You see that? We have to walk in light. We cannot accept sin into our lives as a continual practice. We cannot accept the sinful lifestyle into our lives and say, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm saved by grace. No, you should not practice sin. Of course, you're always going to sin. You're going to mistake. You're going to make mistakes. And there's a difference between the struggle and the practice. Sin should be a struggle that you're constantly trying to run to light and leave darkness. But when it just becomes a practice, I'm just going to accept this sin And I'm going to just accept God's grace to forgive me. I'm not going to change. God loves me as I am. Careful. Do not allow the devil to lie to you that living a lifestyle of sin is acceptable to God because it's not. God wants to see that struggle, that effort for you to run to his light constantly. Galatians chapter 5 is very interesting. Verse 19, it says, when you 
follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousies, outbursts of wrath and anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions and divisions, envy and drunkenness and wild parties and other sins just like this. That's what the darkness brings. But let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of sinful life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. What about a Christian who's living in sinful lifestyles? Well, let's read also what Paul said to the church of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, verse 9, don't you guys realize that those who continually practice wrong will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Don't fool yourselves, Paul says. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality, verse 10, or are thieves or are greedy or are drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, some of you are like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right by God, calling you in, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, walking in the light by the power of the Spirit. That was your old life. Don't let your new life be polluted with that same sin. The question is, can I lose my salvation? That's what everyone says. Can I lose my salvation? I don't think you could lose your salvation like you lose your keys. Where'd it go? I, where'd my salvation go? I... I thought I was saved. I, I have no, but I believe you can deliberately leave your salvation. I can make a strong biblical like case that the Christian who has named the name of Christ, who refuses to leave sin, refuses, he gives up on the struggle and just accepts pornography as a lifestyle. Homosexuality is a lifestyle. Adultery is a lifestyle. And just as drunkenness as a lifestyle, gossip as a lifestyle, just saying, I'm just going to continue in this and not change. Be careful. The Bible says, wrestle with your salvation with fear and trembling. The way that we know that we're secure in the light of Christ is defined in 1 Timothy when Paul tells Timothy, the solid foundation of our salvation stands firm. That those who name the name of Christ must depart from iniquity. And that's it. The solid foundation of God's salvation stands firm. Having this seal that those who name the name of Christ need to depart from iniquity. And so we need to do what Jesus did from the start of his ministry and the end of his ministry. Repent. Run to the light. For the forgiveness of your sins. For the fellowship of your father for the empowerment of the spirit in your life run from sin if you study revival in the history of the church revival is always launched and sustained through christians repenting practicing repentance daily saying god i just want to be close to you The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 139. Search me, try me, show me if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. I want to pursue you. Just the act of that struggle, y'all, 
Just the desire to pursue God and please God is proof that you are secure in the light of Christ and he loves you. I went out many years, every, all year, for the last 10 years of youth ministry, kids will come up to me and they'll say, I'm afraid I lost my salvation. I'm afraid God's mad at me because I sinned. I said, the fact that you're afraid means you're saved. The fact that you're scared, the fact that you want to be pure, the fact that you're sick of your sin, the fact that you desire to please God more than gratify flesh, that is proof that you are bearing good fruit. Now you're forgiven, go and sin no more. But what if I do? You will. I don't want to. Keep that attitude. Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. But the things that I do want to do, I can't seem to do. Who can save me from this body of death? Thank God, Jesus Christ, the light of life. Well, at the end of uh, chapter four, you know, uh, sorry, uh, towards the end, he recruits two guys. I just want to make two simple points here. When he comes in verse 18 to Peter, Peter is casting the net into the sea. Peter would be a great evangelist in Acts chapter 2 who would literally preach Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Come and follow him. So Peter would become a great evangelist. He would cast his net to be fishers of men. He would fish for souls. He that when souls is wise. Peter was wise. John, on the other hand there, it says, was mending nets. I just want to make these two points. The ministry of light is both to save souls and to mend souls. It's to recruit new believers out of darkness into the light, and it's to mend seasoned believers to go more into the light. John would eventually be the guy who wrote the book of John, the guy who wrote the first, second, and third books of John, and he would always be the apostle of love. Let's dwell in unity. Let's purge our hearts from sin. Let's continue to seek forgiveness. Let's continue to be restored. He would be a minister of reconciliation. So this great ministry of light, God gave the disciples and God gives us. He says, you are the light of the world. He says that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, y'all. We have the same calling to bring the light to the lost, to see them saved, and to bring the light to the believers, our friends, and to see them purified. That is our ministry. First Corinthians verse five puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, everyone say, that's me. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's given us this message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We talk to people as if Jesus is talking to them. Jesus is talking through us, and we implore you, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We implore you, live in the light of the gospel. It is from the posture, not of condemnation, but in begging. Will you walk in the light? Will you search your heart for sin? 
Will you repent and go in the complete different direction? And I promise, because scripture promises, as you run as hard as you can towards Christ, reading his scriptures, memorizing his teachings, fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters, what will happen is that your darkness will just flee. It'll just fall off. And the Lord will work on even deeper issues of your heart. The next thing you know, you will be godlier than you ever thought was possible. Although you won't have the pride that comes with many times what we think godliness is. You'll have profound humility because in godliness, you see your dependency on God. I'm not godly because of me. I'm godly because of his light has shined on my life. I want more of that light because I have more sin. I implore you, follow, follow Jesus. That's what Paul says. He says, follow me as I follow the light of Christ. That's our ministry. Do you know you have that ministry? And you know that is our ministry. And I think that's because we have that ministry. That's why Jesus said we're going to be greater than John the Baptist. Do you know that Jesus said that? He said in Matthew 11, he says, I surely I say to you, no one who's been born of women is greater than John the Baptist. But then he says this, but you who are least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than he. We studied a couple weeks ago, John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived. And God says, because we're living with the knowledge of the light, we're living in the kingdom, we're greater than John the Baptist when we share that with other people. Because John the Baptist didn't have that. John the Baptist died before Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. We have the benefit of inheriting this great gift of the kingdom. John just told about it. So we're greater than John when we live in the light. And you know, our ministry collectively is greater than Christ's ministry. Let me just quote this from Jesus' words in John 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, you will also do. And greater works than these will you do because I go to my father. Jesus says, you'll be greater because Jesus is one dude who can only be one place at one time while he was on earth. But when he went to heaven, he commissioned all us to preach the kingdom. Repent, go towards the light, flee from darkness. He says, you'll have much more of an impact than I would if I stayed here with you. It's better that I go to my father. So we really have the great ministry of calling people to light. Have you done that lately? I know I have. And it's not fun, actually. Because sometimes you tell people that you love that you believe they're in sin, and that you want them to walk in the light. It's, a, it's like a rebuke out of love, though. And sometimes they say, thank you. Sometimes they say, don't judge me. And you say, but I'm called by God. If I see my brother, if I see my brother sinning, I'm first to get the log out of my own eye to make sure that my motives to confront that person are pure, have I repented before the Lord? Have I asked the Lord to forgive him of my sins before I speak to that person and help them with the speck in their eyes, scripture says. But I have to first search my own heart and say, God, before I help this person walk in the light, you do business with me. That way it doesn't come across as condemnation, but it comes across as love. So search your own hearts before you call your friend to, to light. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. God is doing such a special work at Devotion Church, a brand new church plant in Safety Harbor, Florida. Now, not only do I want to thank you for listening to this message, but I would like to invite you to visit our church in person if you're ever in the Tampa Bay area. Or you can join us online at devotion.church. 
And when you're there, if you haven't already, sign up for our seven-day devotion challenge. It will inspire you to enjoy friendship with God through the discipline of daily devotion. I always like to say devotion is always an invitation, never an obligation. So thank you for sharing devotion time with me today. And I hope that you will share this message with someone who needs it. I'm Brooks Gibbs, the lead pastor of Devotion Church, and I pray that today you will enjoy friendship with God.